What's cracking, big dogs? Welcome, bike, to the channel. My name is Nicholas, and this is BDGE. Big dogs gotta eat. It's Tuesday, which means we're doing softy seconds. Okay, we're diving into the sophomore class because the sophomore class seems to be the most riveting, the most intriguing. Probably the class is going to win a lot of fantasy football leagues this year. Every week on Tuesday, we do our softy second series, which is going one by one taking one player from the running back position, one player from the wide receiver position from last year's class and breaking them down like a fucking shotgun, okay? And this is per ADP. I want you all to know, when I'm going down, last week's was the running back three and the wide receiver three. It was Antonio Gibson and T. Higgins. These are not my rankings. These are ADP, average draft position. This is literally, this is your guys' rankings. So stop yelling at me, okay? Whoever's a wide receiver three in underdog ADP, whoever's a running back three in underdog ADP is who I go by the books with. Today is the running back four and the wide receiver four. If you've missed any of the top three running backs or wide receivers from last year's freshman class, I will link that down below in the description. Go watch them. We've broken down Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, Antonio Gibson, CeeDee Lamb, Justin Jefferson, and T. Higgins. Today, we are diving into the running back four in the sophomore class per ADP, not per my motherfucking rankings, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire of the Kansas City Chiefs and Brandon Ayuk of the San Francisco 49ers. Y'all ready? Let's tuck our shirts in. We'll stop yelling. Let's eat. <laughs> I wore this shirt for a specific reason. Objective, because it seems a lot of people are having a lot of trouble being objective about Clyde Edwards Hilaire. A lot of people are having trouble admitting that he was not good last year. You're allowed to objectively say that he wasn't good last year and also still want to draft him this year. Because where he's going in drafts currently, as I said, RB4 in the sophomore class, RB15 overall, 21st overall, which is the 209, the 209 RB15. Last year, by the time drafts rolled around end of August, early September, Clyde Bertillaire was going off the board around the 106. He was a top eight redraft pick, okay? And that shit hurt it. Everyone's running around screaming, he had 1,100 yards from scrimmage as a rookie. It was a great year. And now he's going to go fucking nuts. I mean, listen, 1,100 yards from scrimmage from a top five or six fantasy pick? 1,100 yards. No, just no. Objectively, that's fucking not good. You say 1,100 yards from scrimmage as if 14 other running backs didn't do that last year. That is not including Kenyon Drake. Miles Sanders, David Johnson, Chris Carson, obviously guys like Austin Eckler, C-Mac, uh, Saquon Barkley all got hurt. All, if they did not miss time, would have been well over 1,100 yards from scrimmage, okay? So y'all say 1,100 yards from scrimmage in this argument as if the majority of starting running backs in the NFL don't hit that mark easily. It's weirder if you don't do it. So stop using 1,100 yards from scrimmage as some benchmark of clarity like, oh, 1,100 yards from scrimmage, what a feat, Amazing, Clyde. Everybody fucking does it. You have to be a bad running back in the NFL not to hit 1,100 yards from scrimmage. In 2019, 20 running backs hit 1,100 yards from scrimmage. In 2018, 18. In 2017, 17. It, it's, it's not that difficult. The majority of starting running backs hit 1,100 yards from scrimmage. The other thing that concerns me with Clyde Edwards Lair, we're going to get to the good and the bad. Don't worry. It's not just me shitting on Clyde Edwards Lair. It's just that you guys need to shut your mouths and act objectively. The other thing that, that worries me is like Clyde Edwards Lair straight up just might not be that good. 
when you look at the rest of the rookie class last year, they all started as most rookies do, not in a workhorse role. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was handed the workhorse role out of the gate. He was the first running back off the board, a first-round pick, the guy that Patrick Mahomes wanted, the guy that the Chiefs wanted, gave him every opportunity to be an elite fantasy running back, and he did the opposite of everybody else. Every other rookie running back that you look at, JT, Akers, Gibson, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, got more and more involved as the season went by, got more opportunities, and started to act as the workhorse in their respective offenses by the time the second half of the year hit. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire went the opposite way. And you guys are going to be like, did you see what he did before they brought in Le'Veon Bell? Are you really arguing that the corpse of Le'Veon Bell, that the skeleton of Le'Veon Bell's skeleton was the reason that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire started losing touches? That's something that concerns me, not something I've, I don't feel good saying, yeah, well, Le'Veon Bell got there. Fucking 30-year-old Le'Veon Bell, who averages like 3.2 yards per carry now is the reason that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire can't get any touches. You look at the second half of the year, his first six games, yeah, getting an absurd amount of touches, 17.8 carries, 5.2 targets per game. The second half of the year, not good, not good. 10.5 carries a game, 3.4 targets per game. Le'Veon Bell took serious, serious work. Part of the reason that we even look at Clyde as an elite option or, or, you know, what we were thinking of what he could possibly be is that week one game last year. It was televised. He went 25 for 138 and a score. It was against Houston. We now know looking bike at it. Houston is historically, last year's Houston team is historically one of the worst rush defenses literally of all time. Clyde went 138 on the ground against them. And then the rest of the season averaged 55 rushing yards per game. My argument here is not to draft Clyde, is not not to draft Clyde in, in, in 2021. But if if you're going to be like one of the cornballs that keeps arguing about him being good last year, he just wasn't. He just what there's no arguments to actually be had that he was awesome last year. So look at the two sides objectively and come to a middle ground. He was disappointing, but can be a good pick this year. There's a chance again that Clyde just isn't very good, but his floor in this offense is very very high, which leads us to the positives of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire this year. There is no backfield competition for him, right? We had Le'Veon Bell taking away touches, which is a fucking warning sign, but he's no longer there. Damien Williams obviously opted out last year, so he was never a, a sign of competition. He is on Chicago now. So realistically, it's Daryl Williams, and Daryl Williams is not a guy that competes for touches. He's a guy that literally just happens to be on a depth chart, and when the starter can no longer touch the ball or carry the ball or is tired, Darrell Williams comes on the field. So he doesn't actually have real competition for touches, which is obviously a pretty big positive in fantasy football because we thrive on volume. The other thing, he saw 54 targets in 13 games last year. Uh, when you pace that out to 16, that's a little that's a little bit over 66 targets for the course of the season. 66 targets is obviously very, very good. And here's the other thing, man, that you could – say this is a positive or a negative, whatever you want to do here. He's playing with Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey. In the Lord's year of 2021, this offense will never, ever, ever run through CEH. I don't give a fuck how good his spin moves look in Madden. This offense will not run through him on the ground. It will not run through him in the air. They're not going to be a ground and pound team. They are a pass first team and will do and will be that for the next 10 years because Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes' first read Second read, third read is not to dump off to a running back. There's no one that has more confidence in their arm throwing downfield, making weird throws than Patrick Mahomes. We've seen it a thousand times. His first bunch of reads are not to the running back, which makes me a little bit nervous. He's he's a fucking, he's a pure slinger. He's, a, he's as pure of a slinger as, as Stringer. A lot of you young heads are not going to understand that one, but go look it up. Go fucking read a book. 
His re- receiving floor is okay. It's going to be there, but I'm I'm concerned about maybe what the ceiling will be in this offense because Patrick Mahomes. There's two things to be really excited for, though, with Clyde Edwards Flair, right? I talked about the targets being there. I'm talking about the lack of competition, but realistically, the ceiling for Clyde could be the fact that, one, their offensive line very much improved, okay? Uh, this almost turned into a really messy situation in Kansas City. They did rank top 12 in both pass blocking and run blocking last year per PFF, but I think when you watched them, it it did not seem like a well-put-together line. They did not seem like they had chemistry. It seemed like they were banged up and starting a lot of back backup players. It didn't seem like they, they should have graded out as a top 12 offensive line. They lost both of their starting tackles this offseason, Eric Fisher, Mitchell Schwartz, but they ended up signing a lot of players. Austin Blythe, who was not the big signing, but they used their second-round pick on an offensive lineman. They signed former Pats guard Joe Thune to a massive deal, which is huge. Uh, they signed Kyle Long. He's already hurt, but they traded for Orlando Brown. So they gave up their first round pick this year to the Ravens, got Orlando Brown in return, which is big. So basically you're looking at them using their first and second round pick on offensive linemen. One, the first round pick Orlando Bloom, uh, Orlando Brown, Orlando Bloom, Orlando Brown, who he turned into uh, is already a veteran. So they could throw him right onto the line. So they, they, they lost a couple starters, but again, in return, they got Orlando Brown. They got Joe Thune. They got Austin Blythe. They got Kyle Long. So their offensive line should be great. The other thing is the goal line work, okay? The goal line work was is a fucking mystery for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He scored four rushing touchdowns last year. Four. And this is in a Kansas City Chiefs offense. He scored on one of nine goal line carries. Even like Leonard Fournette is sitting there laughing at that number. One of nine goal line carries. That 11.1 conversion rate. 11.1% conversion rate, ranked 47th among 48 running backs with five-plus chances inside the five. And we all remember that week one game. That week one game, he got stuffed against the Texans on the goal line like 45 times. And everyone was like, oh, can't wait to see what Clyde becomes. Like, imagine he converted a few of those. And my dumb ass was one of the people saying that. Imagine he converted a few of those. He would have fucking five touchdowns right now. After he got those six goal line carries in week one, he saw three goal line carries for the rest of the entire year. Three goal line carries for the rest of the year. That's as many as Le'Veon Bell got. And Le'Veon Bell played half a season in Kansas City. Um, so the question becomes, like, yes, the upside for what Clyde possibly could become as the goal line back is massive. More opportunities, converting more opportunities at a higher rate. The question becomes, are they going to use him on the goal line? Because he was bad last year on the goal line. Call it unlucky. Call it the offensive line not good. Call it whatever you want. But you can't objectively say it's not a risk. You can't objectively say that they're all going to Clyde. He's going to be better. They're going to be better. It's a risk there that he's just not the guy that gets the carries on the goal line, okay? You also got to look at just the Patrick Mahomes effect again, right? Like, well, we might say he'll never be the first, second, third option. This is what Patrick Mahomes does to defenses. Average defenders in the box, six and a half. That was 62nd among running backs. 62nd. That's like fucking the backup's backup running back, okay? So there's never any guys in the box. And they can't put guys in the box because of Patrick Mahomes, Terry Kill, and Travis Kelsey. You look at the stack front rate, base front carry rate both 54th, 55th in the NFL. So he's never seeing stack fronts, light front carry rate. He's always seeing a good amount of carries against those light fucking fronts. So when you look at Clyde, like my my my, my argument here, I don't really have an argument. I'm, I'm here to lay out the good and the bad. I'm here to tell you that, yes, Clyde is a good value this year. He was not good last year. So stop saying that, please. But he presents opportunity this year. He does present a ceiling. He presents one, a, a very nice floor, but you don't draft running backs in fantasy football for their floor most of the time. You draft them for league winning ceiling. Running backs that perform at an elite level win leagues. Running backs that have a floor are secondary pieces. Luckily, you get to grab Clyde as a secondary piece. At the end of the second round, he can be your RB1. He can convert more goal line opportunities. He could be more efficient on the goal line. He could see more targets. He could, whatever the fucking case may be, the opportunity is there. I'm here to tell you that the risk is not 
not there. Okay. So Clyde Edwards Hilaire, I like him back in the second round. He's not a guy I'm going to be drafting everywhere. And I hear some podcasts like, oh, if he falls to the third or fourth round, you got to grab him. It's not fucking falling to the fourth round anywhere. All right. So sick of this shit. So sick of you getting on the fucking mics and lying. I'm the only one that can come on the mic and lie to your face about it and be okay with it and get away with it. Clyde Edwards Hilaire, let me know what you think about him. I don't know what to think about him. I really don't. I really don't because there's a lot of there's a lot of swirling parts around here. Okay. If that made any fucking sense, subscribe to the channel and I will keep making sense for the rest of the summer to you guys. We're breaking down this whole sophomore class every Tuesday. We're doing videos Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Monday, Saturday, Sunday as well. Um, so if you're new, obviously hit the subscribe button, hit the thumbs up button if you were enjoying the video thus far, and we'll dive into the second half of the video. Brandon Ayuk, he is the wide receiver four in the sophomore class per underdog ADP. He is the wide receiver 27 overall, 63rd pick overall in drafts. Ayuk is another, he's a wicked strange case, man. He's a wicked strange uh, case because a lot of people did not like him coming out of ASU because he had uh, somewhat of a late breakout age. He had to wait for Nikhil Harry to leave. Uh, and that's uh, that, that that seemed to be a bit of a problem for some people because we saw what Nikhil Harry turned out to be. And then we're like, we had to wait for him to leave, for Brandon Ayuk to pop out a little bit. But we found quickly is that uh, whatever the reason for Ayuk's late breakout age wasn't his fault. Had to be the coaching staff, whatever the fuck it was, because he was awesome awesome as a rookie. Uh, he took over as the alpha when asked to, and that's all you can ask for, man. You have plenty of rookies that have the opportunity to take over, that get the opportunity, just like these rookie running backs. Second half of the year is when they usually come out and start getting 15, 20 touches and break out, and that's when we get excited for them the second half of the year. Clyde didn't do that. All the other rookie running backs did that. There's a lot of wide receivers in this class, you know, the Jalen Ragers, the Michael Pittmans, that got that opportunity as well and didn't do it. Brandon Ayuk got the opportunity. He did. Okay, you want to talk about late and early breakout ages in college? Why don't we give that same energy to late and early breakout ages in the NFL? Your first year in the NFL and you're breaking out. Why does that not weigh more than college breakouts? That's my fucking question. Okay, so Ayuk played in 12 games. He saw 96 targets, 60 catches, 748 yards, five touchdowns. Also carried the ball six times for 77 yards and two touchdowns. Arguably the best running back in football last year. Averaging nearly 13 half PPR fantasy points per game. You want to take away week 16 where he injured his ankle after his first catch and those per game numbers get even more impressive. Now, the question becomes the big question here. There's two questions, right? Trey Lance comes in as a quarterback or whenever he might step onto the field as a quarterback. He will be doing a lot of running on the field as a quarterback, which dips the passing volume down a little bit. The big question is what happens when these three big-time playmakers are on the field at the same time for the 49ers. You have Brandon Ayuk, you have Debo Samuel, their second-round pick from the year prior, and you have Georgie Kittle. That's what we don't know because Debo played in seven games, two of which he left early with injuries. Kittle played in eight games. Ayuk had almost no uh, target competition over that second and a half of the year when he turned in as the alpha. Again, though, you look at the Michael Pittmans and the Ragers, they they had very little target competition as well, and they weren't able to get it done. So Ayuk at least has that going for him. Debo left uh, week seven versus New England with a hamstring injury. And from week seven to week 15, Ayuk was averaging absurd numbers, 11 targets per game, seven and a half receptions, 95 receiving yards, and he scored four times in seven games. Those are crazy, crazy. I don't care what team you're on, what kind of target competition you have. 11 targets, seven and a half catches, and 95 receiving yards. Come on now. Come on now. You also have to remember, though, you also have to remember that Debo Samuel came into the year with a significant, significant foot injury in which he suffered a, set, suffered a setback in the summer. So we can't forget how good of a, of a player and an athlete Debo Samuel is, man. 5'11", 215, 40, speed score, burst score, agility, like it, it's all there. It's all there for Debo. Debo Samuel is currently the wide receiver 36 off the board, 81st overall. So he's going like a full round 
two rounds behind Brandon Ayuk. And I like both of their values, man. Kittle, of course, again, missed significant time. And I wanted to go back and look at the games in which they played together. We have a very small sample size, and it's four games in which all three guys played together, weeks four through seven. And I'm hesitant to even count, uh, count week four because Debo only played 34% of the snaps because it was his first week bike from the major injury. And we know, looking at studies, that when players come back from multi-week injuries, that first game back is usually a big-time scale back in terms of their play time. So I don't even know if you can count that. But when you look at the chart during that span, uh, George Kittle dominated them in targets, in target share, in receptions, in receiving yards. But Brandon Ayuk was the alpha on the outside. Look at that average depth of target was basically six times longer than Debo Samuels. He had the most red zone targets. He tied George Kittle with the end zone targets. The other, the other big thing to take into consideration here is that's weeks four through seven of the rookie season. With rookie wide receivers, we don't see the playtime get boosted up. We usually don't see the progression and the opportunity rise up until the second half of the year. So not only is this like skewed with them being on the field at the same time, Debo missing time, but it is the rookie uh, the beginning of the rookie year. So I'm not going to be like, no, it's, it's Brandon Ayuk's number three in the pecking order because of these fucking three-game sample size or whatever. If this was the second half of the year, Ayuk probably would have been on the field more even if those two were both on the field at the same time. So it's an, a very interesting, tricky dichotomy to dissect. During that span, during that four-game span, Debo Samuel led the NFL with nine screen targets. He caught all nine for 115 yards, 12.8 yards per reception, and averaged 17.1 yards after contact or yards after catch on those. During that span, Kittle and Ayuk both saw two screen plays. So you have a very obvious plan for these guys. Debo's line of scrimmage guy, nine tar nine screen targets in those games, led the NFL during that span. Average depth of target, 2.5. Ayuk playing on the outside, getting the deep targets, getting the X alpha targets, 13.3 average depth of throw. And Kittle's just a guy that spreads the middle of the field. You can do whatever the fuck you want with him. Debo played 65% of the time outside. Ayuk played 87% of the time outside. The other thing that's made me kind of reconsider the value between the two players, Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, is Matt Harmon's reception perception. And the first thing that he said about Brandon Ayuk this year is this. Brandon Ayuk is without question my biggest riser coming out of charting the 2020 NFL season for reception perception. I came in expecting good things. I walked away from Ayuk's film believing this player has the potential to become a true superstar at the wide receiver position. That is not something to take lightly from Matt Harmon's mouth. The guys that he usually anoints as the true superstars over the last few years have been guys like Stephon Diggs, Allen Robinson, Calvin Ridley. When they succeed against man in press, like Ayuk did last year, 88th percentile against man, 86th percentile against press, they usually, they usually hit at a very, very high level. So Ayuk came in and dominated against any coverage that you'd have to give a guy that plays the X role. When you look at Debo last year, he again, I want to emphasize that he was hurt. He came in with a very serious foot injury. It's not easy to succeed against man and press coverage. Debo did not play well last year. Debo was in the fifth percentile success rate against man, 12th percentile against press, and very much like a lot of slot wide receivers, 80th percentile against zone. So he needs to be in the slot. He needs to be getting those short throws. He does have much more athleticism than most of the, uh, you know, slot wide receivers you think of that succeed in the zone. When you think of the Cooper Cups, the Tyler Boyds, the Juju Smith-Schusters, those guys are good, but their athleticism is nowhere near Debo Samuels, which is really, really, really high. So I don't want to take too much from this chart because Debo was hurt a lot of the year, but I think the key takeaway is that Brandon Ayuk, whatever he did last year was not just an opportunity-based breakout. He is a very good wide receiver, and I think you should own some shares of him there. Um, even with, with Trey Lance coming in, the, the, the concern I do have is if Trey Lance comes on the field, 
how many pass attempts is he really going to average? Is he going to throw 28 to 30 pass attempts a game between him running it, you know, six, eight, ten times a game, them using their running backs really heavily as they always do in Kyle Shanahan's offense? That leaves what? Like I said, 28 to 30 pass attempts. Ayuk would need to have like an elite 25% target share, 27% target share just to see eight targets a game. So the question becomes like, how high really is his ceiling? He could, he might be like, you know, like the fucking Josh Jacobs of wide receivers where the ceiling might not really be there. It could be a very good player. It could be like the missed tackles force guy it could be success against man coverage guy, but the volume just won't be high enough. Um, he won't have enough monster plays in order to give you a ceiling, but still a really good wide receiver too in your fantasy lineup. So I think he's a great value right now. Whew. Every time I do these sophomore videos, man, every time I'm like, oh, this is going to be the trickiest one yet. This is going to be the weirdest one yet. And, and it doesn't stop. And this, I feel like, has been the most difficult one yet. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Brandon Ayuk, the RB4, and the wide receiver four, according to Underdog ADP in drafts right now. Let me know what you think about these two players. Again, if you're new to the channel, make sure you subscribe. We'll be doing breakdowns like this literally every single day of the week for different players, different strategies, different, different fucking strokes for different folks. You know what it is. Hit the thumbs up button if you enjoyed. And I'll see y'all tomorrow morning.